For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. We are Union Strong. Union Strong. We are Union Strong. We are Union Strong. Union Strong. Union Strong. Union Strong. Union Strong. Nursing home workers at Our Lady of Peace in Lewiston, New York, worked right through the COVID pandemic, putting themselves and their families at risk while providing vital care to residents of the nursing home. They were among the heroes throughout the pandemic. Well, now they're in a contract fight with their employer, Ascension Living. The workers are represented by 1199 SEIU. They've had a one-day walkout, and now they're taking their fight right to the company's headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri. On this podcast, we're going to talk to a worker to hear about what the working conditions are like inside the nursing home. We'll hear from a union representative on the details of the contract fight, and we'll hear from our partners at the Missouri State AFL-CIO. It's all next on the Union Strong Podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Krista Dietz, who's an LPN at Our Lady of Peace. Uh, Krista, thank you for joining me on the podcast. No, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit um, about your responsibilities there at the nursing home and how long have you been working there? Well, I've been at Our Lady of Peace um, for Ascension Living just over four years. Um, I moved there because it was closer to my home and it's really, it's a nice facility. Uh, my daily um Responsibilities include overseeing CNAs, working as part of a team, taking care of our residents, providing for their activities of daily living. Um, their needs vary from resident to resident. Uh, some are there for therapy, some are there because they have dementia. I mean, there's a wide variety of needs there, but we, uh, like I'm responsible for medications, making sure everybody eats, any kind of, you know, special care that they might need. You had a one-day walkout, a one-day strike. Tell us a little bit about why that is. Like, what are the conditions inside the nursing home that force you to make that difficult decision to walk out for the day? Well, unfortunately, we are having a, a huge problem recruiting and retaining staff. Um, our starting rates are... Are, they're below the area standard. So it's, and we're a little further out. We're in a more of a rural area. So it's a, it's hard. You have to have a vehicle to get out to us. You have to be able to pay a competitive wage for people to come to your facility. And we're just, we're like stuck in a few years ago pay. Like it's just, it's not competitive at all. So we are at critical staffing most of the time, especially like on the evening and night shifts. And you, it's like you you have to rush all day just to get the needs met, like the, the medication, the food, those type of things. So you don't have any time for more like mental health, one-on-one -on -one interaction. You know, some of these people don't have any family or during COVID, for example, we had no visitors for almost two years. We were the only contact that these people had. And that's hard when you can't spend five minutes with somebody because you have to hurry up and get to the next, next task because there's not enough employees. 
So what was that like? I mean, I you know, you were an essential worker. You guys, yourself and others were called heroes throughout this pandemic, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Were you in, uh, you know, for full personal protective equipment when you were caring for these folks? Um, for the COVID positive residents, yes. We had at different times three COVID units. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, it, they transformed part of our rehab unit because uh, admissions were pretty low down. Nobody wanted to go into the hospital for, you know, a hip replacement, something that was kind of like elective they could put off for a little bit. Nobody wanted to get COVID. But we did have uh, a, quite a few cases at Our Lady Peace where we, we lost some people. I mean, when you were on the COVID unit, and luckily one of them was on the first floor, so their family members could come see them through the window. And, but that, that was very difficult for them. We had people watching their loved ones die through a window, talking to them on speakerphone. It was just, it was really hard. And I have to imagine that that uh, maybe led to some people also deciding that's it. You know, I'm not going to come back. That stress alone and those kind of working conditions. Did you lose staff just based on we that? We lost staff at the beginning of COVID because understandably they were afraid. And you didn't, there was not an option of whether or not you had to take care of COVID patients. It was part of your assignment and you were expected to do it regardless of what your concerns are. Or if you were going to take it home to your family, you still had to do that. And, and people, people walked out, people left. Everybody was like, you know what? We, we've just, we've had enough. They have to do better. They have to do better for these residents and for us. They deserve better care. And so what is your message to um, people who are listening to this or watching this? What is it that you want them to know that you need from Ascension um, Living? Well, we, we want Ascension Living to know that our, our market rates are not the same as they are in, where the, in St. Louis. And we need more staff to be able to provide the quality care that these people's families believe they're getting. They are people's loved ones. How how would, what if it was Ascension Living's family members in that facility? They would want them to have the best care. That's what they would expect. That's what people want for their parents. And we can't give that if we don't have the staff. And we're not going to get the staff if you don't pay them what they deserve. So is there a little bit of a disconnect because you mentioned St. Louis. So out in Missouri, that's the headquarters for Ascension Living, right? I mean, is it do they just not understand the standards, the you know, the the pay structure in that region of New York and Lewiston? At the end of the day, it's a business for them. You know, they they like basically say we know people will work for these rates because you already do. Okay. So you're back in, you're back to work, um, and now there's um, an event that's going to take place out in St. Louis. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, here this is happening in Lewiston, New York, and then now you've got taken it right to the doorstep of the headquarters. How does that feel? I hope they hear us when we're there because so far they haven't, I mean, mum's the word, they haven't had very much to say. Bring the message to their doorstep. See if they can hear us then. 
Okay. Well, hang in there. And, um, you know, you certainly have our support for the New York State AFL-CIO. You know that. And I know there was a broad coalition that was out there when you guys were out for the full day um, during the one-day strike. It's awesome. Thank you very much for joining us, Krista. Thanks for having me. Joining me now is Hannah Lawrence, who's an administrative organizer for 1199-SEIU. Hannah, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what the key issues are here and how long these workers have been without a contract? Yes, so our workers, uh, we started bargaining in November of 2021, and we have been working without a contract since December 31st, 2021. Um, And the reason we are doing that is because management has refused to offer wages that are even close to the standard in the area for our workers. So um, we have been at the table, we're working very hard to get uh, a settlement, but unfortunately we've had to take uh, the step of doing a one day strike. Um, because we need to make sure that these workers are being paid what they deserve and what they are worth. And so how many workers are we talking about? And and what kind of job titles, like what kind of work do they do in there? Yeah, so we have hundred, about 150 workers. It used to be a 300-employee facility. So they've downsized significantly. Um, and because of actually a unit closures, which I can talk a little bit about it at, at some other point, but um, our workers are the service unit. So those are uh, support uh, professionals who provide food, laundry, housekeeping, um, maintenance work, stuff like that. And then we also have LPNs, um, which are licensed practical nurses. We have uh, a few RNs as well, registered nurses. Um, and CNAs, a bulk of our uh, bargain unit, are C- uh, certified nurses assistants who provide the day-to-day care to the residents. So how did it go from 300, that's cut in half, to 150 <laughs> workers? Yeah, no, it, it, this was really concerning for us. Um, and this was really started uh, about a year ago. We They closed one unit. Um, and then just recently, just in the past few months, they closed two more. One of them is their rehabilitation unit, which actually is their money maker, right? Which was a huge concern for us. Um, and the reason they did that is because they didn't have staff. They didn't have CNAs. They could not recruit CNAs at the current wages that they were offering. Um, so because of that, they've actually, they closed three of the units. That's 150 beds that are no longer available to uh, community members, which is obviously a huge, huge concern for the community. Um, and they also threatened to lay us off because even though they couldn't recruit CNAs, they did have a few extra LPNs on that shift and they threatened to lay us off. And it, it, it worked out to where no one ended up being laid off, but that was because of not of anything that they did. It was because of just personal issues with some of those CNAs, so or excuse me, some of those LPNs. So that's a huge concern, huge concern for us. And and what management has on the table now for the CNA right is not gonna bring anyone else in. So what kind of what kind of gap is there in the pay? What are we talking about? You mean in terms of- Like what, what where they should be. No, even, um, you know, where should they be and where are they? I mean, is it like the difference per hour rate? What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I can't give you an exact numbers right now, but I can tell you that, um, CNAs in the area and similar CNAs with, with similar amounts of experience are being paid, you know, 17 to 20, right? Sometimes um, the start 17 to $20 like, an hour. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and I even, even a little higher for some that are very uh, experienced. 
um, and usually the start rate is about 1650. Um, our current CNAs are making, most of them are making about $14 an hour, really, um, which is significantly lower mm -hmm. than the area. Right. And it's a, a huge expectation on their part with going into and, you know, coming right off of a pandemic and going into a healthcare kind of situation like that and caring for people when you have other jobs out there that are going to pay much more and that mm -hmm. line of work, which obviously they're dedicated to, is going to pay more mm -hmm. elsewhere. Absolutely. So, so you've been, um, there's been, uh, no movement since the end of last year and you got to this point of the one day strike, which I know is a difficult decision. Who was taking care of the, um, residents inside when, when the workers were out? So we have to give a 10 day notice, um, for our striking because we are healthcare institutions. So they have a chance to, um, get staff in the building. Um, I believe they had some agency staff. They did fly in some staff from, um, I believe their headquarters in Missouri, um, as well, but, and they were, they actually, they were bragging about how fully staffed they were on, um, first shift, which was not great for us because they don't do that when we're working. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so the second shift was actually really short. So they didn't have enough staff on second shift. They didn't have enough staff in the um, uh, in the kitchen. So it, you know, we knew we expected to when we walked in this morning that we were going to have to do some cleanup. We were going to have to do some damage control, right? Because even though I mean those residents did receive care yesterday, and that's why it was important for us to issue that ten day notice sure. so they had the opportunity. Um, but we know that that level of care is not going to be the level of care that we can provide. What can you tell us about Ascension Living? So Ascension Living is a subsidiary of um, Ascension, which is the largest Catholic healthcare organization in um, the United States. So um, they are, as, as much as they are a nonprofit, they're also extremely profitable. Um, the top five paid employees um, of Ascension uh, in 2020 earned over $40 million. So, and it, it's been, they've made it very clear to us that it's not that they don't have the money, that they're very profitable. They know that they have the money, but it's just that they don't think that we deserve it. They don't think that they have to pay us. Right. They just um, came right so, out and say that, huh? They sure did. They sure did. Yes. At the bargaining table. Um, so I will say that Ascension, is they're very out of touch with the area. They, we are the only nursing home that they own in New York State. Um, so they're out of touch with our members. They're out of touch with the wage standards in the area. And they're out of touch with the community and the residents, right? So um, we have to do, that's one of the reasons why we're actually going to um, Missouri, because we want to show them that we're going to, we're bringing this to your doorstep. You have, you have to understand, right? We're going to make you understand what, what our issues are. So tell me about that. Um, so that's their headquarters out in St. Louis. So you're going to go out there to say, hey, you know, even though this is happening in Lewiston, New York, you're going to have some workers who are going to go out there, too, and mm -hmm. bring that message to that doorstep, as you mentioned. But so there's a whole coalition of support that built around this effort. Talk to me about that. The community support, um, you know, there's some faith organizations. Obviously, you have our support, the New York State AFL-CIO, and now out in Missouri for the AFL-CIO. Talk to me a little bit about that. We've had incredible support from the community. From um, We had multiple uh, members of the of religious organizations come to support us yesterday. We opened with a prayer. We ended with a prayer um, at our strike. We had so many unions come out to support us yesterday. We had the um, 
Area Labor Federation of Western New York, which is affiliated with New York City. FLCIO was there. Um, that was incredibly helpful, along with a lot of uh, the politicians actually as well. Um, a representative from Brian Hagan's office um, also was there, as well as uh, Assemblyman Morinello. So we've been really grateful that the community has really embraced us and embraced our fight. Um, we've even had uh, family members of residents come out uh, to, to, to walk with us on the line. Um, so we can't do it without them, right? It's, it's, it starts at the workers, but it needs to extend to everyone else if we're going to be able to make an impact here. And I think we're going to be able to do it. And that's got to mean a lot to the workers, right? Because it's not, it's not easy walking away from the residents like that. But to see all of that support has got to really mean something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they, you know, they, a lot of these workers have been working with these residents for years and years and years, and they have developed personal relationships with these residents and their families. So um, I think there, there is definitely, I think, a layer of guilt that they feel about wow, me walking off. But I think it's really clear the residents and the family members do seem to understand that, you know, they're doing this for a good reason, right? And, and we're out here to support your fight. And the anger is not directed at our members. It's directed at management for not providing the wages that they need to do their jobs. Well, Hannah, is there something that anyone listening or watching can do to help out and support you out there? Yeah, so we would love to have you at any job, future job actions that we do. Um, in the meantime, though, there is an online petition, and I can give you the website for that. Um, we'll, we'll add so that in our show notes um, for sure, okay. too. But unless it's something really easy people can remember. I'll let, I, we'll add it to the show. And wait, let's do that. Hannah Lawrence, thank you for all the work that you've been doing. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to do everything we can. You know, um, Mario Salento, our president, uh, always says we stand shoulder to shoulder with these working folks, the working men and women there, and we'll continue to do that. So best of luck to you and, and keep up the fight. Thank you so much. Joining me now is Stephen Weber. He's the political director at the Missouri State AFL-CIO. Stephen, thank you for joining me on the Union Strong podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell me, how did this go from Lewiston, New York to Missouri? How did you guys get involved in this fight? So we got, we got a call um, from 1199 through the AFL-CIO uh, National um, and uh, heard that a, a local in New York was having an issue with a, a company based in Missouri, based in St. Louis. Uh, and didn't really know anything about it. Uh, we were kind of surprised. I mean, it, you know, not a call we get every day. Um, but uh, we started, uh, got on a Zoom, heard a little bit about the situation, and we're excited to see what we can do on this end to try to help. So Ascension Living, that's the headquarters um, to the nursing facility out in Lewiston, New York. So that that's the parent company. That's where they're located. They're in your community. So you tried to figure out, you know, one of the things you do when you're scheduling an event is so where are we going to do this? Where are we going to bring people together? So tell me about how you chose your location. Yeah, so we uh, did a little research on the company and a couple different locations um, came back. Um, they've got uh, an office in downtown Clayton, which originally we thought we might use. Um, and they've got a larger um, sort of standalone building um, in northern St. Louis. Uh, and you know, the, the thought originally was how do we get most press to the event? How do we make sure that we get some coverage? And so we thought the downtown Clayton location would be better. So I, I drove to scout it out and we, you know, literally just walk around, look at the situation. Where, where would we physically hold the event? Where would we hold the event where they wouldn't be able to call the police to try to, to disperse us or try to arrest us if we were on their property? Um, and, you know, where can we actually make our voices heard? And there wasn't really a, a good spot. And um, I should say, just for some background, 
Uh, Missouri Jobs with Justice has done some uh, actions against this company in the past, and we know they have been very quick to call the police um, on folks that are speaking out against them. Um, so that's a real concern. So then I drove up to the northern location. Um, they've got a building that's clearly marked. Um, their employees are clearly there. Uh, but again, there's not, uh, they own the property and there's really nowhere you can go to, 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 to have a rally or anything like that. But there was, um, it's, uh, it's right on the edge of a residential street. And so I thought this is kind of crazy, but I'm just going to knock on the door and, and say, hey, I'm from Missouri AFL CIO. You know, this is kind of wild, but can we have an event in your yard? And it turned out, um, you know, we were trying to work in solidarity um, as the Missouri AFL CIO with a New York labor union. It turns out when I knocked on the door, um, the family that lives there, um, one of the, the family members is a union bricklayer. And so they were like, absolutely, you know, we don't know anything about the situation in New York, but whatever you need to do as a union, uh, you can use our yard. We're, we're on board with that. And it was really, really cool just to be like, we're trying to, you know, I'm doing something in, in, in St. Louis for, for uh, SEIU workers in New York. And then a union bricklayer uh, who doesn't know anything about the situation is doing something to help me out. And it was just kind of a nice chain of like, you know, we're all in this together and we're all going to work to make sure our voices are heard. Yeah, it's a great show of solidarity. Event's going to take place on Tuesday, March 15th. Um, what kind of coalition have you been able to build? Like who's involved and who's going to be able to show up for support? Yeah, so uh, the, the St. Louis Labor Council has a delegate meeting that night. So we're going to be bringing uh, delegates from all different trades are going to be coming out. Uh, Missouri uh, Jobs of Justice, we have a very uh, active uh, chapter here in Missouri. Obviously, it's a national organization um, and, and they've been involved. Uh, they're going to bring people. Uh, we have a faith, a faith labor coalition um, here in, in uh, Missouri. And so we're going to have some faith leaders come. Um, and so it's going to be a, a real broad spectrum of supporters here in Missouri joining with folks um, from uh, 1199 coming from New York. Um, so I'll, I'll be together for the action. I saw, I think I saw uh, the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists too. They're getting people out as well. Yeah, they're, they're going to be joining. They're going to be turning out some people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it should be, a, should be a, a broad, diverse coalition of folks. You touched on it at the beginning, but, um, you know, here we are in New York talking about this. We're based in Albany doing this podcast. You have this fight out in Lewiston, out in western New York, and then you've got workers going out there, you know, to St. Louis, Missouri, and you've got all these brothers and sisters from union groups and all these coalition groups joining together. I mean, that really says something about the whole union movement, doesn't it? It really does. And it's also, this is, this is what the union movement looks like in the 21st century in 2022. Um, you know, for a long time, um, capital uh, was fluid. You could move around the country and move around the world. And, um, you know, businesses and corporations and capital have never been shy in trying to play regions against each other, right? They've tried, um, whether it's using tax incentives and trying to steal um, jobs from one community versus another, moving jobs overseas, they've taken advantage of the ability that they can move um, capital quickly to try to suppress wages. And so this is a really interesting example of countering that, right? Of saying, um, actually, it's not just capital, but labor has the ability to reach around uh, the country, to reach around um, communities, to communicate with each other, to, to stand in solidarity with each other and say, um, you know, do we want a St. Louis company to be successful? Of course we do, but not at the cost of um, suppressing wages for working people anywhere in the country, not just here, anywhere in the country. And so um, we're going to communicate with each other. We're going to work in solidarity with each other um, using these 21st century tools that we have. Um, and then we're going to apply pressure um, on those businesses, on those corporations, wherever we need to apply pressure uh, to make sure that they're not taking, they're not dividing us, they're not 
taking advantage of, of us. Um, and it's, so it's a really, it's a, it's a really cool story. And it's, and it's, I think what the future of labor needs to be in terms of um, not just working in our community, but really broadening the definition of community uh, to include all of us. Well, we really appreciate you, Steve Weber. We appreciate the Missouri State AFL-CIO. We think it's fantastic. We're all working together like this uh, for a really positive outcome. So we look forward to the event on Tuesday, March 15th. Thank you. Hey, we're, we're thrilled to host you. We're thrilled to have you, and we're excited about it as well. Thanks. Joining me now on the podcast is our communications and campaign coordinator, Liz Sutton, who also works on the podcast with me. Hi, Liz. Hi, Darcy. Pretty soon we're going to be able to be in the same location together. Uh, we're just Looking being to yeah, extra, <laughs> extra careful and cautious here. So um, a lot of getting, making these campaigns successful is getting the word out and getting the bodies out and getting the message out. And in this case, we're talking about from New York, Lewis to New York, right out to St. Louis, Missouri. And you've been involved in that. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I've been putting together the communications plan for this effort. So I've been drafting up um, social media posts ads, Facebook event, email blast, I made a TikTok, you know, all stuff that we can use that our uh, partners both uh, here in New York and out in St. Louis can use to get the word out about this event. Um, and uh, we're even encouraging people to reach out to Ascension Living directly and let them know that it's not okay that they're paying these workers such low rates. It's just unacceptable. Well, and Hannah talked about that a little bit about just how low the rates are and in very blunt terms that Ascension Living, Living even acknowledged that it wasn't a matter of affording to be able to pay these workers, that they obviously didn't value the workers enough to pay them. Yeah, when I found that out, my jaw dropped. I mean, I just, these people worked through the pandemic. Um, you know, they are so short-staffed and they're bending over backwards and just the disrespect, I, I can't even fathom it. So people can help. Um, you'll you'll have information in the show notes for of uh, the petition that's happening and other events that's that are taking place in St. Louis tomorrow. That's right. We'll have the details um, in the show notes. We'll put the Facebook events uh, link in there. So if you can put that you're interested or that you're going, that would be helpful. Um, we'll put the petition in there for folks, um, and we'll just make sure that we're getting the word out about this and just letting the Ascension Living know that this isn't going to go away and we're not going to accept this behavior. And we have to give a shout out to Kevin Eitzman, who's the director of our field operations, because if you're watching this podcast, you're seeing some video from out in Lewiston, New York, outside the nursing home. Kevin did all that work. He went out there. And if you're listening and hearing the natural sound from the event that took place and the one-day walkout, that was all Kevin. We appreciate that. Uh, so thanks to Kevin. We, we really do appreciate you. Thank you too, Liz. Great. Thanks so much, Darcy. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary-treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.